Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Excuse me, may I have some more? We are the Foodcast with an Insatiable Appetite. My name is Brad Kramer. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Christine Struble. Hey, Christine. Hi, Brad. How's it going? Uh, no complaints on this end. Um, maybe I'm excited with for every episode that we do, but I might be a little more excited for this episode because I feel like the subject matter, and we're going to be a one-topic show, I think the subject matter is very important, and I'm hoping that... Our brief conversation about the topic and um, the buildup that we do will compel people to dig in and dive in and um, go from there. And the topic at hand, I guess I should say, is the recently released um, documentary, We Feed People, which was done by Ron Howard, and it was done for National Geographic Documentary Films and is streaming on Disney+. Plus. Um, I have seen it a couple of times. I know you have seen it and may have uh, refreshed your thoughts on it. Um, I wanted to talk about it briefly, leading into a conversation that I had recently with um, the CEO of World Central Kitchen, which is what We Feed People is about, um, Nate Mook, who I spoke to um, from Kiev, where he's been probably now for maybe over two months um, in the heart of the conflict, in the heart of the uh, invasion, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, feeding people with the amazing people from uh, World Central Kitchen. So I wanted to talk about uh, We Feed People leading into that conversation. And I wanted to hear your thoughts on the documentary. Okay. Well, I, I am I, I, do you just want me to, it, you know, regale you with my thoughts or do you have a particular question? Well, no, I, I <laughs> we, one of the things I like when we do these episodes is we do not pre-discuss. It's sort of like when Regis and Kathy Lee were at the, at the uh, peak of their popularity and they, the, the, one of the core reasons the show was so popular was the host chat they did for the first 15 minutes of the show every morning. They never spoke ahead of, the cameras turning on at nine o'clock. We don't either. We don't discuss what topics we're going to uh, bounce about. We don't discuss anything. And so, yes, I don't know what you thought of We Feed People. I don't know if you loved it as much as I did or feel as strongly as I do about the, the content and the work that World Central Kitchen did. So the floor is yours. Talk to me, talk to us and the people listening about what you took away from We Feed People. 
Well, I, I appreciate that the floor is mine because that doesn't often happen when it comes to our little chat that I have free reign without uh, any uh, direction from you. But I mean, looking at this documentary, it's a really good reminder. I'm smiling and not going to respond to that. I, well, I, 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 at least I got a smile from you on that one. Um, you know, it, looking at the documentary, it's a really, there's two aspects of it that I think are important. Tabling for a second the, the importance of the work that the organization does and how it can, in such a chaotic time, create change um, with minimal effort, I think is astounding. But at the same time, it's very interesting to me that a couple of the, the comments that were made is that this organization and this situation came about because it was led by a chef and chefs are people who thrive in chaos. And it was said over and over again. And if you think about that aspect of, you know, a chef in their element um, whether it's a professional kitchen or a home kitchen, they can, they constantly have to adapt. Whether it's, you know, I didn't get my order from the farmer today and I've got to change my menu, or I've got three people out sick in the kitchen and I don't know how I'm going to make this happen, or I've got uh, a, a table of six and I didn't realize that two of them are vegan and another one is gluten-free and I've got to make sure that my tasting menu, you know, reflects all of that. These are ad, an individuals who constantly know how to um, pivot in a way. And even though that word has been overused greatly in the past couple of years, but they constantly know how to make something happen and they use vehicle uh, they use food as the vehicle to change it sparks that conversation it provides nourishment not only in the moment but also you know the 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 idea that you know you can go forth with food and you know, invite people to have a conversation, you know, whether it's the family table, this global table, you know, a bigger movement beyond it. It, you know, this documentary is so all encompassing that it, that it's difficult to kind of boil down into a few minutes of conversation. But I think it's something that everyone kind of looks at and, and it, it that, or should look at so that they can turn around and say, Hey, you know what? Maybe I'm not a world-renowned chef, and I maybe can't go to the Ukraine and make a, a difference or a change. But right now in the world that we live in, maybe I can bring um, a plate down to the neighbor, um, two houses down, who's struggling, who, you know, food costs are through the roof and can't, you know, feed their kids um, breakfast in the morning. So I think big change can invoke little change um, on a smaller scale. And it's interesting because you started your whole thought process there that you shared with what was almost a direct quote from Nate Mook, which is chefs operating chaos. And World Central Kitchen, whether it was in Haiti for the earthquake or Puerto Rico for the hurricane or Guatemala for a um, volcano or what's going on now in Ukraine, uh, the different work and the different 
catastrophes that they react to at the drop of a dime, they are walking headfirst, willingly, eagerly, enthusiastically, passionately into chaos. And that's where they're doing their best work. And I'm blown away by it. And I think it's something that perhaps people are aware of Jose Andres because he is a celebrity chef above and beyond World Central Kitchen. And perhaps occasionally someone will see an interview with him or one of the networks will do a feature on what World Central Kitchen is doing. But I don't think anybody knows the depths of the effort, for lack of a better word, that World Central Kitchen puts into these disasters in times of need when people do need to be fed. And that's why I thought it was so important that we share the interview and that we talk about the documentary. Well, I think in in the case of this organization, they are able to cut through the bureaucracy in the moment, which is something that is different than when you think about um, other governmental entities that have so many layers to it. I mean, you see it very specifically in the um, documentary itself, whether it's, hey, we can make a kitchen out of a tent. Let's just make it happen versus, you know, another scenario where it has to go through a committee and it has to go through uh, the funding and it has to go through the approval process. No, for, for this organization, it is about getting boots on the ground, food into people's hands, making a difference. And that's it. So I think that's why it's such an organization that maybe resonates to people in the food world even more so because it, it's what restaurants and, and, and chefs do on a daily basis. You make something happen. And, um, you know, it, it would be nice to see, although World Central Kitchen, you know, did have movements within the United States during COVID times. And there are many organizations that support World Central Kitchen through their endeavors. And, and they have been a leader in using the food industry and helping them in times of need, not just, you know, we, we see the scenario of people who um, are in the plight of despair, whether it's war or a natural disaster where they're getting fed. But the other aspect of this, of that organization is they take the chefs who are within that community and they're the ones who are helping feed people, you know, and, and they talk about it specifically in the documentary where it's, hey, we've had to learn to adapt to cook our rice and beans in a way that resonates with the people we're feeding. Or in Kiev, they're, you know, using a food truck where that, you know, gentleman wouldn't have had an income otherwise. Or you see it in other cities where they'll employ local restaurants and give them the, get them the food and the funding so that they can feed other people. It's kind of, a, a, in a roundabout way, a story that we tell often on this foodcast where it's one person helping another, helping another, where you keep the ball rolling to the you know next group of people. And if this um, documentary doesn't illustrate that in 
what is almost a perfect way to people who watch it. I don't know how else it could be illustrated. I think it's, it, it takes us behind the scenes. It takes us into the trenches. And I think that that's what makes it most effective. And then when you add, obviously the, you know, an award-winning director, Ron Howard, who, who made this documentary, it, it, it resonates. I guess that's the, the word I keep coming back to is it definitely resonates. Well, I mean, must it, you know, why there are many people out there who will watch it because of the Jose Andres connection, because they are, you know, intertwined in the food world. It really is, in my opinion, should be an example for others to say, you know what, anyone can make a change if you're willing to step up and take that first action. It doesn't have to be a, on the grandiose scale. If you choose to make a difference, you can. And from there, anything is possible. So as you see, when you um, watch the documentary, and if you're listening to this foodcast and you have not watched it yet, I'm hoping um, by the time you finish listening to this episode that you will be compelled to do so. Um, I mentioned Nate Mook a little earlier. He is the CEO of World Central Kitchen. Um, Jose Andres calls him his saint. There's no better way to sum up what Nate does. When I spoke to Nate recently, it was six or seven in the evening. He was in Kiev after a long day of doing what they do every day, and that's getting out into the war zone, feeding people who are in desperate need of food and drink. And I was given a few minutes with Nate to talk to him about their efforts there and around the world in World Central Kitchen. And that few minutes turned into a lengthy interview, which in of itself being where he was and when he was and, and taking time out of his day while in Kiev, Ukraine, blew me away and continues to blow me away. The generosity of spirit and yet the commitment to spreading the word of World Central Kitchen, I just thought was uh, phenomenal. And I, I was flattered and honored to get that time with him. Um, before we roll into that interview, Christine, what we're going to do is play, and I know usually a trailer for a film or documentary is a visual, but I think the words of the trailer for We Feed People are powerful enough that we can at least paint a little bit of a mental picture. So we'll play a little bit of the trailer for We Feed People leading into my conversation with Nate and again coming out of my conversation with Nate and hopefully you will enjoy this discussion and um, here is a little bit of the trailer for We Feed People and my recent conversation with Nate Mook, CEO of World Central Kitchen. Take a look, we're going through very high water. It's the only way to be delivering food. I'm so glad that we have this track. I hope we are able to feed the people and I hope we are going to... I love the word cook. Because the word cook in Spanish is cocinero. A cocinero is a person on the stove, feeling the fire. For me, it was very clear that I wanted to create an organization that we will be able to respond to events that disturbs the lives of people. I am Jose Andres. We're here with a simple to make sure that food is an agent of change. There's no food, no water. Puerto Rico was a game changer in every aspect. He took a backpack and I don't even know how they got there. 
What we found when we landed was catastrophic. In a crisis, you call on the experts. No one was calling on the cooks and chefs of the world when there were people who were hungry. He was doing so much and yet feeling like it wasn't sufficient. I'm almost getting a million dollar line of credit or money I don't even have. I worry a lot when he goes because you never know what crazy thing he would do. She's asking when we're coming back home. Soon. We gotta feed some people and then your dad can come back. He's got big dreams and this vision, but it's always rooted in what's possible. As a documentarian yourself in your past and having uh, done award-winning documentaries, I'm curious how the making of We Feed People came about and if you could talk a little bit about how it was for you and Jose working with Ron Howard in light of that past as a documentarian yourself. Yeah, so my background as a documentary filmmaker and right before Jose and I went down to Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria in 2017, I just finished a documentary, producing a documentary with HBO um, with my friend who directed it, uh, Sonia Sohn uh, from the TV show The Wire. And we spent about two years making a documentary about um, the killing of a young man named Freddie Gray in police custody in the aftermath of that in the city of Baltimore. And so, you know, I had been working on on this project for about two years. And then before that, before the HBO doc had worked with Jose and National Geographic and PBS on a documentary about Haiti, when I had first gone down to Haiti with Jose in 2012, this was the very early days of World Central Kitchen and Jose's uh, desire to start uh, an NGO um, he had this crazy idea that he wanted to make a TV show about Haiti. And so we we sort of did this backwards. We went and started filming and then we found a found a partner to produce it with, which was National Geographic. And then we found a partner to distribute it, which was PBS. And so we we made this one hour special on Haiti. And so I'd been doing this documentary work. And that's how I got to know Jose and World Central Kitchen in the early days um, when the organization was tiny and just getting started. But Jose was, a, you know, this guy that had all of this passion. And even if he didn't necessarily know where it was headed yet. And so, you know, I ended up having this really unique um, opportunity that I, at the time I had no idea where it was heading, but we had in the process had been documenting World Central Kitchen's work from those early days back in Haiti in 2012. And so after I'd finished the documentary with HBO and went down to Puerto Rico with Jose, you know, I sort of went down there with this lens of, I'm just going to kind of capture and record some stuff. And maybe we can make some little short videos for social media or tell the stories of what's going on on the ground. And we did that in the, in the beginning. And, and we sort of created this this new methodology for world central kitchens work which was in addition to doing the work of feeding people we were also telling the stories of those that were on the ground in puerto rico with very limited communication going on and not a lot of reporting going on there around the island we became a lifeline for people finding out what was happening. And so Jose would record these little social media videos, or I would record him and we would put it up on his Twitter and Instagram. And it sort of became this almost like a little TV show of, of what was going on every single day. And we were bringing people into World Central Kitchen's work. So it wasn't with an intention of filming a documentary, but it was with the intention of documenting the work that was going on. And this became a cornerstone 
of World Central Kitchen over the years for a couple of reasons. One was, as I said, we really found ourselves in places where we were oftentimes the only people on the ground. So, you know, in some ways we became accidental reporters of what was what was happening. And it became a bit of a responsibility because if we were somewhere and we needed to share what was going on, um, you know, we we had to tell those stories and we had to document them. The second piece was one of transparency. You know, we wanted to do things differently from traditional NGOs that oftentimes maybe you donate to and then you have no idea how they use your money. And then a year later, you get a report in the mail. And so we really wanted to, to change that, that system and say, hey, if you donate $10 today or $50 today, I want you to be able to go on our Twitter account or Instagram account or Facebook account and see what we're doing with your donation in real time. And so it became so important for us to capture what was going on. So and and so I was able to bring my background of documentary filmmaking to that endeavor and it became really central to World Central Kitchen's work from the very beginning uh from Jose and I going down to Puerto Rico in 2017 so we ended up having all of this footage and you know I've been thinking about it over the years about you know we need to it, it'd be great to do something with this footage you know we we captured all of this and we we documented it over the years but we didn't really have any intention of of where we were going to take it but we started the idea started percolating to you know to to actually make it into a feature documentary uh, but we didn't know with whom we didn't know who the director was gonna we didn't know all of these things it was just all right let's start to put together this idea and make sure that were that were documenting what was going on because we knew that we were doing something different right. and we wanted to have that historical record of what we were doing and it was very fortuitous we were in california uh responding to uh the campfire in the town of paradise uh that destroyed this entire town and ron howard was there making a documentary about paradise came across our team and met jose and met us and or his team did and you know he came back and said wow i i would be really interesting to show what these world central kitchen guys are doing and so ron came to jose at the end of 2019 and he had he had crossed paths with jose you know prior a couple times prior and he went to jose and said you know I want to make a documentary about about World Central Kitchen. I want to tell your story. And Jose had been very reluctant to bring anybody in because the last thing we wanted to do was turn World Central Kitchen's work into like a reality show, right? right. Disasters and excitement and what's going to happen and this and that. And like it very easily could go sideways and really not reflect the true spirit of World Central Kitchen's work around the world. And so you know, but Ron Howard was different. Ron Howard came to us and said, look, you know, I want to be true to the story. I want to honor the work and I want to do this right. And I want to do this well. And, and we, you know, we sort of, I sat down with Jose and we talked about it and we said, look, if anybody is going to tell this story, right, it's going to be Ron Howard. Right. I mean, and, and it's not often that a director like Ron Howard comes knocking on your door and says, Hey, I want to direct a film uh about your work and so it ended up being this really you know this moment we took a leap of faith and we and we took it with ron and and um but also you know it was 
to your question about the documentary background, it, it was it was a perfect fit because you know I was able to bring my expertise to the table, and we were also able to bring all of this footage that we had already shot to the table. And Ron didn't actually even know we had this archive okay. initially, and uh, we we sort of ended up in this situation where um you know we had this tremendous amount of footage and ron initially was was going to go ron and his team at imagine docs was going to go they were going to go and and film entirely new footage and we had this whole plan set up and we started working with them and again i was able to bring my background as a documentary filmmaker to the table and say okay what do we need to do to make sure that the documentary team has what they need that ron has what he needs and then COVID hit and all of a sudden national geographic and disney shut down as every studio did you know yep. shutting down productions and all of a sudden we had no teams that could go out and film things and all of a sudden we were in this middle of this covid pandemic and in march of 2020 and that's when they started looking at some of this archival footage and ron had a moment where he said wow you know i i think we could tell a story an origin story of world central kitchen and really use this amazing archival footage that's been shot over the years right. as the the foundation for that. And you know, to to the credit of his team, they went through like a thousand or fifteen hundred hours of footage, and did just incredible work pulling together the stories and and weaving it in together with new footage that he shot. And so again, I think all of this is rooted in this background of 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 myself and World Central Kitchen and Jose really thinking through the documenting of the work over the years. And that that's really, I think, what made World Central, uh, that, that, that's really what made We Feed People possible in the end and, and for Ron to be able to tell that story. Hmm. So in We, we Feed People, um, you said chefs operate in chaos and chefs are really perfect for the work that we do. Can you elaborate? Yeah. So, you know, if you ever go into a kitchen uh, in a restaurant during, you know, prime time, it, it is it's it's madness. They're running around, they're shouting things, things are moving like like people are moving in and out. It's like this crazy dance that's going on. It's intense and it's, you know, and and for chefs, this is their happy place. Right. This sort of like chaotic center of making sure you're getting everything right there's everything is on the line people are customers you have to impress people you know have custom requests and and it's it's chaos but it's controlled chaos right because you know what you need to do and you can have an order in that chaos and disasters are very similar now you hope that a restaurant kitchen isn't as bad as as, as a traditional disaster like responding to a hurricane in the bahamas but that sort of cool, calm, and collected under pressure uh, virtue of chefs really makes them ideal. You know, it's, you know, I, I talk about disasters as sort of continual problem solving, which is basically what you're doing. You're just meeting challenge after challenge after challenge. You know, I'm here in Ukraine right now as we're responding in the middle of an invasion, right. and we've got thousands and thousands of team members across the country we have hundreds of kitchens and restaurants active we're moving we're moving food by trucks and trains we have warehouses everywhere and 
things are going wrong constantly. It's just constant problem solving. And that's how you progress the work. That's how you continue to grow when you scale the work is you hit a problem and then you solve the problem and you go to the next thing. Today, we had a big problem with fuel. Fuel is a huge issue across the country, which is a problem if you need to deliver food to villages, you need to get uh, trucks across the country and those require diesel. So uh, especially out in the East right now where Russia is constantly bombarding cities and towns in this invasion. And so we had to figure out how do we get fuel to our teams that are in the East where it's very difficult, it's dangerous. So you're constantly solving these problems and you solve one problem that leads you to the next one that leads you to the next one. And so again, you're, you requires a bit of a personality it requires a bit of a, uh, a way that you see the world and chefs are doing this every day. They're used to doing this work. They're constantly so, okay, we're out of this ingredient, adjust the recipe. We're going to make this. Okay. We have to, we have to produce this many dishes in this period of time. Okay. How are we going to do that? Boom, 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 boom. Um, you know, even prep in the kitchen of making sure everything is ready to go when dinner service begins and things get crazy. You have to make sure everything is ordered and ready to go. So I think, you know, this, is a very natural thing. Chefs are not bureaucratic, right? Chefs are, are not politicians. They're not sitting around talking about how to fix things or planning to fix things. They're in the moment and they're being screamed at and yelled at and they're running around and it's like, boom, we gotta get this done. Disasters are the exact same way. So along those lines, um, it occurs to me that I wanted to delve a little bit in how the World Central Kitchen sausage is made even though it's made differently in every situation you go into almost on a daily sure. basis. In the movie, in We Feed People, Jose said, we don't only feed people, we create systems. And that he's good. he said he was good at seeing opportunity where others see mayhem. And he also went on to say the big problems have very simple solutions. Each time you activate World Central Kitchen and you mobilize, that situation is unique. How are you able to find simple solutions with a changing landscape each time you do mobilize? You know, I think you start at the core needs, right? It's, it's a supply and demand. So we look at, you know, what's the landscape of the situation? Where are the food needs, um, big and small? Um, where is the supply? Where is the food located? Where can we get the food? who can prepare the food. And you look at that landscape and the landscape may change, but at its core, it's kind of simple, right? You, you need to cook the food or move the food and you need to get it to where it needs to go. And in the process of solving those problems, you start to build what Jose said, you start to build the system and the system can end up in the end, it can be delivering anything. In our case, we're doing food, but you you look at the where it's coming from and where it needs to go. And you're gonna run into problems, right? It's not that it's 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 simple, but it's not easy. And I think that's that's the difference, right? And what Jose is referring to is this idea that oftentimes we overthink things. When Jose and I landed in Puerto Rico in 2017 after Hurricane Maria, day two that we were there day three we ended up in a meeting with fema the red cross and the salvation army and they were sitting around talking first of all they weren't in a kitchen cooking they were talking at a convention center in a meeting and they were saying okay we have two million people on the island who need food and if we're going to feed them three times a day 
then we need 6 million meals a day. And the scale of that problem just seemed so massive that FEMA and the US government became paralyzed and the Red Cross was paralyzed and the Salvation Army was paralyzed and the traditional groups that do this work weren't able to really do anything. And because it was so complex to them, how do we even, where do we even start with 6 million meals? Um, and so, you know, we said, don't, don't start with 6 million meals, start with 100 meals, start with 1,000 meals, start with the meals in this neighborhood from one kitchen, start there and then scale up and then go bigger and then go bigger and go from 1,000 to 2,000 to 5,000 to 10,000 to 50,000 to 150,000. And before you know it, you're distributing meals from kitchens across the island. And that's what we did. We, we started simple and then you boom, 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 continue to grow and scale up. We're doing the same thing in Ukraine right now. You know, we're, we're distributing over 350,000 meals a day here. We're distributing millions of pounds of food we've served. Uh, we delivered over 14 million pounds of food to over 250 cities and towns across Ukraine. We have 4,300 team members on the ground. It is a massive operation where trucks are moving and trains are moving every single day. And we, if we went in there from day one and said, this is what we're going to do, it just, it would have seemed so absurdly difficult and ridiculous. We wouldn't have known where to start, but we just started somewhere. And then over time, you start to build, 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 build. And so that, you know, really is at the crux of it. So whether you're in a war zone like Ukraine or you're in the Bahamas, you're solving the problems and you're starting somewhere small. And the circumstances are gonna be different. In the Bahamas, we had to get helicopters, we had to get boats, we had to reach islands that were totally cut off. But at its core, it's at the same question, okay, where are we gonna cook the food? Where are we gonna take the food? How are we gonna get it there? And you start working on those pieces and you start solving those pieces and you often have to do it in real time. This is why the sandwich is so important for Jose because the sandwich is, you know, as he calls it, the perfect MRE, right? Yep ham and cheese and mayo and ketchup and you know and it's it's the simplest thing but it's the most perfect thing because it's something that you can get quickly it doesn't require refrigeration constantly um and it's very easy to transport so in the process of providing something like a sandwich and going out and giving somebody a sandwich you're figuring everything out in real time and then from there you can make adjustments and you can okay now we know what's going on. Now what do we need? Now how can we get better tomorrow and better tomorrow and better tomorrow? And you keep improving the system as you go. And, and I think, you know, then you look back over a period of time, you know, we've now been in Ukraine operating for almost three months now, starting at the border with Poland. And you look back at where we started to where we are. And, you know, we've got the biggest logistics network going right now in Ukraine. We're doing more here than the United Nations. We're doing more here than the U.S. government. And we're able to do that because we're able to start somewhere and build it up. And, and that's really what, what Jose means by it's, it's, it's simple. Let's not overthink things. And then you build the systems. And as the systems grow, that enables you to do so much more. So as an offspring of that question, disasters aren't on the calendar. How long does it take World Central Kitchen to react and mobilize? And there is a financial element that comes into play. How do you act quickly without knowing the financial yeah. demands and the ability to satisfy, satisfy those too. It used to take us longer. Um, you know, I think, you know, we, we arrived in Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria hit. We got there on the first plane that landed in San Juan. We were about three days after the hurricane had, had hit the island. 
Um, when we went to Guatemala, it was after the volcano eruption, probably a, about a day and a half, two days after. Now we mobilize much faster. Uh, you know, now we're on the ground before hurricanes hit, usually days before preparing, getting things ready to go. Um, we're usually on the ground after wildfires, less than 12 hours after the wildfires really start to, to spread in places like California or New Mexico. Right. Um, other major disasters around the world that may be far and isolated, like cyclones in Mozambique or Madagascar or uh, earthquakes in Indonesia, usually we can be on the ground within 24 hours. We were on the border of Poland and Ukraine uh, just about 24 hours after the invasion began, it is so important to get on the ground quick. Right. So, uh, you know, that is a huge priority for us to be able to move fast. Um, and, and knowing that, that we're, we don't really know anything until we're there. So, you know, we, we almost, uh, hold off on making any big decisions until we get somebody on the ground. That's step one or step zero, I would say, because it's before we can even do anything. Right. And, you know, we we've built our organization based on this fact that we need to move quick and we need to be on the ground first and we need to have the resources to do so. And so, you know, our donors put trust in us that they will support us to be that first responding group. We can't sit around and wait for donations to start providing meals. Right. It'll take too long. Yep. Many other groups do this. They sit around and they wait for financial support, whether it be from private donors or the U.S. government to come in and say, okay, here's what we're going to give you to do the work. Now start the work. And then they come up with a plan and then they start doing the work. And by then it's like, you know, like a week or two weeks in or three months in, in the case of Ukraine is organizations are just now arriving here on the ground. We can't do that. Food, when people are hungry, people are hungry now. They're not hungry tomorrow. They're not hungry next week. They're not hungry in a month. So we have to move super fast. So we have to have the resources to do that. And so we talk to our donors and make sure that they're okay with putting their trust in us that we're going to use their dollars or euros or whatever currency wisely. Right. And, and it works because you know, we're transparent about what we do and we bring people into that decision making and they put their trust in us. And so, you know, that that is a, a key element to what we do. And and then we have to hope that the donations are going to come in to pay for it. And we don't know. Um, you know, we didn't know in Puerto Rico in 2017 if we were going to get donations to cover the cost. I was putting a bunch of stuff on my my credit card. Jose was maxing out his credit cards. We were very fortunate that donations started to come in to support the work. And from the very beginning, you know, I told Jose in early 20, 2018, I said, you know, Jose, we, if we're going to do this, we have to do it right. And we have to not do it the way that other people do this work. And if, if we, if we go bankrupt feeding people, if we start providing meals and we're feeding people and people don't come in to support us and we go bankrupt, well, then so be it. You know, that's just, it wasn't meant to be, but I'd rather go bankrupt feeding people than choose not to feed people because we don't know, you know, where the money's coming from right. and we can't let people go hungry. And, and that really is at the core of, of our mission. Featured prominently on your Twitter profile is coffee. Can you tell us what role coffee plays when you're on site providing relief, doing what you're doing, foreign lands, going 24 seven, the pressures, and and obviously I see what's sitting here right there. I was just hoping yeah. I could have a little fun and ask you that question. 
Yeah, I am drinking coffee right now that I just made. Uh, I just made a little pour over for myself here in in uh, my hotel right now in Kiev. Uh, we just got back from a long day, even though it's like uh, 7 p.m. right now uh, where I am. It's never too late for some coffee. You know, coffee. Uh, I mean, I love coffee always because I think it's such a um, it's it's important from an agricultural perspective, from an economic perspective for many countries that we operate in, places like Guatemala or Indonesia or Colombia and South America. Um, coffee plays a, a real important role in that. But also um, just personally, it's just it's it's an important fuel to keep us going um, and to keep us sane in the field. Uh, you can't have too much sugar because then you crash. So right. coffee really keeps us, uh, keeps, keeps us alive. It also, you know, it creates a, a sense of like, um, you know, it creates a moment where, you know, we say we, we don't have meetings, but we can have a coffee and sit down and chat briefly and figure out what we need to do when we need to solve problems. It brings people together. What I also love about coffee is it's, a, it's a unifier. Um, I, I wasn't expecting in Ukraine that to 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 see how the ukrainian culture is so rooted in coffee there's coffee houses everywhere people gather for coffee um they take their coffee very very seriously um high quality uh well-made coffee and so it's great because it's a it's a great way to integrate into um to a culture or to a place and get to know people and um, it's a great gathering spot to to solve problems and and meet people within the community. So, you know, coffee uh, always plays a major role. So in, in any of our activations, I have a little like portable coffee kit I bring with me when I'm out <laughs> in the field. Uh, our teams also know that we have to have great coffee in our kitchens and coffee is is ready. So, uh, you know, it is part of our essential kitchen kits when we're when we're deploying and we're and we're setting something up. So, yeah, it is um, it's it's something I think, you know, that's that's within not just my own personal desires, but but also kind of within the ethos of World Central Kitchen that that coffee plays a, a key role and uh, and keeps us keeps us going. That's great. Jose Jose prefers a cappuccino. I prefer just black filter coffee. Uh, just keep it simple. Which, and I'm sure yours is a lot easier to get your hands on. <laughs> exactly. Than his. Um, my last two questions tie together. Um, the fact that World Central Kitchen rates 100 on Charity Navigator gives people like me and, and everyone else 100% confidence in getting involved, contributing, doing it. So what can people do who are not on the ground and present and aren't able to volunteer? What can people do to help World Central Kitchen? Yeah, I think there's a lot of ways to get involved in World Central Kitchen. I mean, we really see ourselves as um, a community. Um, you know, this is this is not the Jose Andres Foundation. It's not, you know, obviously the, Jose is the founder um, and, you know, is on the ground and, and, uh, and in places like Ukraine and beyond. Um, but really, you know, we, we see World Central Kitchen as a community of folks that are passionate about making sure people are not hungry and thirsty. And so we work with chefs all over the world. It's how we're able to move so quickly and get activated um, in a lot of places, whether it's through kitchens or through food distribution or through other resources. Um, so we have this amazing network of chefs. So chefs and cooks and people in the industry can get involved and we, we have this incredible network that we build out. But even if you aren't a chef, 
um, you know, we want you to be part of this family. So if there are opportunities, of course, to come volunteer and get get hands on, we hope World Central Kitchen won't come to need to come to your hometown because that generally means something is going wrong. But there's other opportunities to volunteer nearby or to help raise awareness or to help raise money. For Ukraine especially, it's been incredible to see how people all over the world and all over the U.S. have been organizing events and fundraisers for World Central Kitchen's work, which is fantastic. Um, you know, obviously donations are what fuel us. So the financial support plays a really critical role because we buy locally. We don't get food donated to us. We are buying that food. It's fast. It's efficient. Um, we're not flying a bunch of stuff in from other places if we can avoid it. We're buying a lot of food, even in Ukraine right now. We're buying as much as we can locally. We're supplementing that with uh, with food from our big warehouse in Poland that we're bringing in as well because not everything can be, be accessed here. But as much as we can, we want to support the local economy. So the money that gets donated goes directly to the work on the ground, which is, you know, I think ultimately why you see things like 100% rating on Charity Navigator. We don't we don't obsess over that. We don't really, I don't even think about it, honestly, because we just do the right, we just do the work and we do, we're true to the work and we are transparent about it. Um, that's the most important thing than sort of outside ratings. But I do think it is a, it's a, you know, it's a testament to the way that we operate. And so obviously having those donations um, keep us going. That's a great way. Helping spread the word too, you know, going on social media, amplifying the work. Um, we want people to know what's going on. We want people to care about what's going on. So be a voice for World Central Kitchen out there. Help spread what we're doing. Um, get engaged in the conversation and the dialogue. Um, and we're going to continue to build up more ways for folks to get involved as we continue to grow and scale. Unfortunately, the reality is we're seeing more and more uh, climate disasters. NOAA just announced today that they expect hurricane season in 2022 to be as bad as ever. Uh, the world is heating up. That leads to bigger climate shifts, wildfires year round in California and floods and tornadoes and uh, and hurricanes. And so, you know, this is is leading to a lot of need for our work. And so while, you know, eventually our goal will be to put World Central Kitchen out of business, as most nonprofits should should endeavor to do, at least in the short term, we know there's going to be huge need. And so, um, you know, we encourage everybody to to get involved with the work. And um, you can go to our website at WCK.org and really see what opportunities there are, whether to donate, whether to help us fundraise, whether to join our volunteer team. If you're a chef or you have a restaurant, you can join our chef corps. Um, just a lot of ways to get involved or just on social media, help spread the word. In We Feed People, uh, it's mentioned that you had 1,700 restaurants helping deliver food during the pandemic. How were these restaurants and chefs able to devote resources to helping World Central Kitchen while struggling to survive themselves? Yeah, we actually scaled up at one point. I think we're at over 2,400 restaurants active across the United States. And this model was, was one that we really went big with during the pandemic because a traditional disaster like a hurricane usually leaves no electricity, very little communication, um, you know, many people who would run or staff those restaurants might have evacuated if they could. Um, and so you can't really necessarily utilize restaurants after a big hurricane, for example, or a tornado necessarily, depending on, on how it hits right. um, or a wildfire, because a lot of people may have evacuated. So so we end up opening our own kitchens oftentimes in those cases. 
But the pandemic really showed a new potential model, which is, you know, the, the restaurants were, were fine. The infrastructure was fine, but they had no business. So the, the resources were there ready to go and you had staff that wanted to work. So what we did is we paid the restaurants to produce meals. So instead of us raising money to open our own kitchens and buy food ourselves and, and, and operate those kitchens, we said, hey, what if we just pay the restaurants then they can pay their staff, they can pay their food distributors, they can pay the rent, they can keep the lights on, they can keep the business alive, and they produce the meals for the local community. And World Central Kitchen serves as a bit of like an air traffic controller, right. where we go and say, okay, meals need to go here, you produce the meals, this is where you need to deliver the meals, we can help with the distribution if needed, but you do the food stuff, you're good, Your restaurants and chefs know how to cook food. Right. We're gonna let you do what you're good at, buy from your local suppliers, pay your local staff, pay your rent to keep your lights on. And the model really resonated. When we first uh, announced it, it seemed a bit like a crazy idea that we were going to we were going to produce a million meals from restaurants and we were going to try to raise $10 million to do this at $10 a meal. That's a higher cost than it would be for us to produce our own meals. But again, you're having this knock on impact of right. every dollar having a, you know, kind of a triple bottom line where you're producing the food that feeds the people. You're also keeping the staff of the restaurant employed so they don't need food assistance and you're keeping the business going because they can continue to operate. So it just, it's, it's, you know, keeps that economic engine spinning. And so um, we, we were like, if we raise $10 million, that'd be huge. And we'll do a million meals from restaurants. By the end of 2020, we raised and put into the pockets of independent restaurants over $150 million. So we were like a mini stimulus in 2020 during the pandemic before the restaurant relief uh, bill ended up passing and putting more money into the hands of restaurants to keep them alive. But so again, you know, it was this model that, that really proved, um, super effective. And it's now it's one that we're deploying everywhere we can, where there are restaurants on the ground. We're doing it here in Ukraine right now. We have uh, hundreds of restaurants working with us in Ukraine that we're paying to produce meals every single day. Because obviously with the war, they don't necessarily have their own staff um, or they're not operating as normal. Uh, we did this in Texas after the big freeze. We were able to get restaurants active on the, some of them that could operate on generators, for example, or still had gas um, and pay them to produce the meals. Uh, right now in Gaylord, Michigan, there was a big tornado that hit. And for a couple of days, they needed some support or a few days. We were able to partner with local restaurants that weren't impacted by the tornado that were nearby and pay them to produce meals that went out to volunteers and first responders and cleanup crews. So we think this model is awesome because not only does it, it um, support the local economy, it's fast, it's efficient, and you know it continues to help us build up this, this network of amazing restaurants around the world that can respond during times of crisis. That's amazing. And it's a, and it's a sustainable model regardless of where the disaster is, which is just phenomenal. Absolutely. Um, Nate, I can't tell you how much I appreciate not only your time today, but your generosity. I'm sorry I ran a little long with the questions. No I, I could do this for hours. I know you have better things to do. Thank you so much for your time. Please stay safe. And I hope we can do this again sometime when you're less pressured for time. Absolutely. Thanks, Brad. I would love to do that when I'm back from Ukraine and talk more. This is the spirit of World Central Kitchen, the pot that will fill the world. Bueno, no hemos perdido clientes todavía. 
The emergency has this amazing way to speak to you. You only have to listen. You can listen to the situation. You can listen to the wind. You can listen to the people. And we're back. Hopefully um, you found my conversation with Nate Mook to be as uh, interesting and compelling as we hope. Um, not to mention the clips of the trailer that uh, we let in and out of that interview with. Um, for those of you who do not have Disney Plus, my best advice would be take advantage of the free trial periods that streaming services almost always have where you get to sample a particular service for seven days or 10 days. Sign up for Disney Plus, watch We Feed People. And then if you want to cancel your that that free membership at the end of the, the trial period, that's fine. But it's an important enough documentary for you to watch. Um, Christine, what I also wanted to share that I thought was really, really important. World Central Kitchen is very, very dependent on contributions and support. Um, whether it's Phil Rosenthal, who I've made no secret of my admiration for and who I think um, creates the best non-competition food show in his Somebody Feed Phil on uh, Netflix, which I just wrote about recently for foodsided.com. But um, if you go to philrosenthalworld.com and you donate money through Phil's website to World Central Kitchen, Phil will match donations dollar for dollar up to a half million dollars. So if somebody listening to this foodcaster, Christine, if you go out and win the Florida lottery this afternoon and suddenly become um, filthy wealthy and decide you want to donate a half million dollars through Phil to World Central Kitchen, Phil will match that half million dollars. And I can't begin to put into words how amazing that commitment is and that partnership that he enjoys. But the important thing I wanted to mention, and then I'm going to back away and let, let you weigh in. Um, there is a organization called Charity Navigator. And anytime you're looking to donate time or money, usually money to a nonprofit, it's always wise and well advised to go to Charity Navigator because they rate charities and how the money is spent that a charity um, gets through donations, how responsible they are with their finances and their operations. And all I'll say as part of this uh, conversation and this uh, soapbox speech about World Central Kitchen is they enjoy a rating of 100 at Charity Navigator, which is a perfect score. And if that doesn't say uh, everything about what Nate Mook and Jose Andres and World Central Kitchen are doing and how they're directing the maximum amount of resources and dollars to their effort to feed people nothing says it better than having a, a perfect score at Charity Navigator. Well, I, I mean, we've been very serious and not as lighthearted um, as we normally are with this and, and not, you know, when people hear something about the 100% ranking when it comes to that website, let's be clear, this is not a Yelp situation or, you know, a, um, a, a boosting situation of other review sites. This is actual information vetted, um, real, and it comes up with that number. And that that is not um, in any way manipulated to, to arrive at that. So, you know, that 
things like that are important. Many people today can, can, you know, aren't able to go and give lots of money because, you know, the economy is not the greatest. So if you are going to go and make a donation to an organization, make sure that your money's going to a spot where you know will be put to good use. And if you can't necessarily dive into your wallet and give money to Rural Central Kitchen, there are other ways to to support that organization or the idea of that organization within your own community. It goes back to what I said before. Any little change where you can use food as a vehicle to help others feel better about themselves in theory, goes to supporting what the concept of Rural Central Kitchen is. Um, you know, it comes down to this, you know, the simple idea, food is life. And if you can bring some moment of happiness to someone else by a gesture, whether it's grand or small, those little things can make a difference in this world. And I think, you know, in the end, maybe that's one of the takeaways anyone can see from this documentary change can happen if you're willing to do it and it's funny you said food is life world central kitchens one line tagline mission statement in one sentence is food is a universal human right and that sums up what they do if you've listened to us sing the praises of world central kitchen and this documentary we feed people and we have piqued your interest in any way and you want to learn more about World Central Kitchen, you can visit their website at wck.org. That's wck.org. It is chock full of pictures, photographs, videos, everything you could possibly, you may even find the documentary We Feed People on there, come to think of it. Um, you can learn about what they're doing and what they continue to do on a day in and day and day in and day out basis, whether it's in Abaco in the Bahamas or Navajo Nation or Houston, Texas. If there is a need for someone to respond and feed people on the ground and be there, World Central Kitchen does it. And if you are in a position to reach into your pocket, you can do so through the WCK.org website. It sounds like a, a Labor Day marathon, but uh, telethon, but that's not my mission. My mission is to support them the way we can through a foodcast. Um, If you go to philrosenthalworld.com and you want to take advantage of the matching that Phil does, you go to the brand partners page on his website and click on World Central Kitchen and you can get involved there as well. So there's a lot of ways you can support, as Christine said, what World Central Kitchen is doing, whether on a macro level around the world or on a local level, wherever it is you're listening to this foodcast. And we encourage you to do so. One thing I wanted to add that I, that I thought was very exciting, whether it's whether someone listening to this has a book club or um, a, a friends that they have through PTO or their, their pickleball group or whatever, um, if you go to the WCK.org website, the World Central Kitchen website, you can actually host a screening of We Feed People. And I believe they have a toolkit on there for ways that you can gather people in your group for a movie night and actually screen the documentary. So there are ways to make this an interactive 
exercise while getting the word out of these amazing people like Nate Mook and Jose Andres and their unbelievable team and contributing in that fashion because awareness is not as valuable as money, but awareness is a pathway, a, a yellow brick road to that money. Hey, you know what? Instead of going and uh, spending $7 on that uh, frozen coffee beverage, or if maybe you went to the movies and uh, saw a, because you had a, felt a need to see some speed, um, you know, airplanes flying across the screen, take instead of spending that $10, $15 on a bucket of popcorn, put it someplace else. You know, life's about choices. Some, some are better than others. Especially when helping others. Christine, this has been fun. It's been different and important and um, I enjoyed it. And I enjoyed having your feedback on We Feed People. And uh, I hope everybody who's listening will seek it out. Give it a chance. I mean, give it a chance. There's no need to say that. It's a phenomenal documentary. Ron Howard does a phenomenal job. Seeing the work that these people do will will definitely engage you and and keep you... uh, riveted to your seat while you watch but um until we get together next time christine where i will resume the obnoxious sense of humor and the barbs and the witty repartee um thank you for taking the time to watch we feed people um christine and thank the people who are listening to this who hopefully will do so and with that i will just say we will do this again next time Until next time, Brad, I look forward to the witty repartee. (laughs) Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.